0: Okay, we're going live, just doing a sound test right now. Can anybody give me feedback? Audio test. Testing sound, one, two, three. Just post a comment. Sound test, testing one, two, and three. Awesome. Okay, let's start. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for today. We thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for bringing together your church, your body, even if it's online, if it's all over the place, but in the spirit of unity, in the spirit of love, in the bond of affection, we come together knowing that you watch over us. You bless us with your word. Let your word go forth and let it be established. Let the truth of that word set the captives free. So we bless this time. We bless this word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Let's just run the intro. Let me run that intro. Okay, it's a bit low. Okay, let me turn it on a little bit. Okay, is that better? Already, let's start. I'm going to go into the Word of God. Is that better? Okay. So today we're going to talk about the true cost of discipleship. The Word of God tells us a lot about what Jesus requires from true disciples. There is a form of Christianity out there that is very superficial, very artificial, very shallow, very uh, limited in scope, limited in power, and it just has, has nothing to contribute, has nothing to, uh, to really benefit the rest of the body of Christ and the world in general. Even today when we see riots taking place, and looting, and people making demands of the government, and so much chaos, and just just so much trouble all around us, it's because of their hearts. Their heart is just hard. Their heart is unsaved. They don't know Christ, and they have rejected Christ. And now they're trying to fight with the government to get what they want. And it's just the loss of their flesh, and their demands, and. It's just, we live in a crazy world right now. And we live in a time where people have turned their back on God, they've turned their back on Jesus. And they are just trying to live their life in their flesh, in their soul, in their emotions, in their lusts. And then it's just chaos. Everybody else suffers the consequences of that behavior. And uh, there's just clash, there's just conflict everywhere. But when Jesus called his disciples, he gave them specific instructions and, and standards of what he requires of his disciples and those who follow through and those who actually walk in it they see the results they see the benefits they see the abundance they see the blessings of it yes there's a price to pay to walk with christ truly not as a hypocrite but truly to pay the price there's a price that is to be paid and jesus laid it out very clearly And we are called to pay that price. And He is the one who says if you will pay that price, that He will be the one to step into your life, to turn it around and to give you eternal life, as well as all the blessings, all the commanded blessings that are available to those who walk in obedience. They get through access to the kingdom of heaven on this earth and in the future that is to come. The name of our church is New Millennium Kingdom Church is because we are preparing for the new millennium. We are not just demanding things of God, and this time, we're not asking for to God for our best life now. We are ready to pay the price. We're ready to sacrifice our comforts because we are preparing for the life to come. We are preparing for that kingdom that is to come. And Jesus is gonna come and establish it. And as we see events happening around us and wars and rumors of wars and trouble and riots and, and pandemics and these are the beginnings of sorrow. These are the times where Jesus says, I will come suddenly like a thief in the night. So these are the signs we have to watch out for. There are a lot of things that are taking place around the globe. And people are suffering. Nations are suffering. Different races are suffering. Racism is not just in the United States. Everywhere in the world, people are struggling with this issue. And they're suffering. It's just suffering all around. But there is joy and peace in God's kingdom. There is love and compassion and forgiveness of sin in the presence of God. And we must come into that presence. We must come into His presence and bow our knees to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. There are black people demanding that white people should bow down to them and kneel down to them. And they're telling the police to kneel down. And and even politicians in Washington, D.C. are kneeling down symbolically trying to ask for forgiveness from the people of color that have been abused and, and you know mistreated for centuries. And that sounds very symbolic, and it's, it's a superficial form of forgiveness because there is no long-term benefits of doing that. And we are not called to bow down to anybody. We are not called down to bow to another human being. We are not called down to kneel down in front of another human being. These politicians and these people are willing to do that in front of other humans, but they are not willing to do that before God Almighty. They will not bend their knee to Jesus Christ. Yeah, but they'll say, oh, we did wrong things to black people and whatever, so let's kneel down in front of them. That is such nonsense and that is just mocking the God of this world and the whole universe. The God Almighty is the one who f- fully paid the price for our sins and our iniquities. And people are not willing to bow down to him. They're not willing to bend their knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords. So let's go to the scriptures and and reestablish what is that cost of true discipleship that people need to learn. Right now they're trying to fight for their own rights or they're trying to fight for somebody else's rights and all of the social justice nonsense that goes on and and people feel good about it. It pleases their conscience for a little bit. Because, oh, look, I'm fighting for the rights of somebody else. But their own sins are still before God Almighty. They have not asked God's forgiveness for their sins. So they do these kind of things to try to, to feel good about it. So the whole nation rises up and says, let's stand with Black Lives Matter. And, and some people say, oh, blue lives matter. That means the police lives, their lives matter too. And then others are saying all lives matter. Yes, of course all lives matter. It's not just one color or one race. Every race matters to God. And we are to fight for salvation, for the sins of humanity, not just for one race. But this whole nation has been stirred up, and politics is horrible in this country. They bait one race against another race just to gain power, just to remain in power. The Democrats are guilty of this their whole life. The Democrat Party has been the one that actually was committed to slavery and committed to all the abusive nonsense. All the members of the Democrat Party were Ku Klux Klan members. It was the Republicans that stood for, for civil rights and all of the, the right side of history. And now they've tried to turn it upside down. But these are just the local politics of the day. But we have to look far beyond and above that. <clears throat> so let's go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. Why do we always go back to scripture? Why don't we listen to the the talking heads on social media and the news media and the mainstream media? They're constantly trying to brainwash people. Right versus left, Republican versus Democrat, white versus black. That is nonsense. That is just evil politics being played out. And whoever feeds into it and whoever uh, subscribes to it, they're ignorant and naive to believe that it's one versus the other. They're just playing that game with you to have control over you. That's how governments control nations. It happens in every nation. Governments do that over and over again. And this nation is very strong in this. They do social engineering through social media, through news media, through all kinds of political... You know, rallies and all these kind of things, just to brainwash people because they want to remain in power. But Jesus is the one who has all authority, all power, and he's coming back. Our role as the church, our role as believers, as our role as disciples is to go and wake people up and warn them that don't get caught up in in local politics and all this nonsense with what lying corrupt politicians try to tell you or try to, you know brainwash you about. Get back to the word of God because the Lord Himself is coming to judge all nations. Every government is under Him. They will all have to give an account. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Verse 15. He he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now Jesus was establishing who he was in the midst of his disciples. He said, what are the rumors? What are people talking about me? Who who do they think I am? And everybody had an opinion. And then Peter, by the Holy Spirit, speaks out. And he says, you are the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus affirmed it. He didn't say, oh no, you you got it wrong, or you're lying. No, he said, yes, that's right. You, You got that right. Today, every human being on the earth has to answer that question. Who is Jesus? They don't have to answer who is the President and who is the Republican, who's the Democrat, who's this, who's that. The foundational truth is who is Jesus and who is Jesus to you. Simon was saying, Jesus, this is who you are to me. It was a personal confession. When the Lord returns, everyone will have to give an answer to this one simple question. Who do you say that I am? Today is the day to confess who Jesus is in your life. We love to take the names of celebrities and famous people and rich people and wicked people. And not once do I hear them take the name of Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter that nobody showed this to you. It has been revealed to you by my Father who is in heaven. So when we expect people to confess Christ They cannot because they don't know Christ. They don't know Jesus. That's why they don't confess Him. Someone who truly has come to know Jesus will confess Jesus above everybody else. I don't care how important you are and how rich you are, how famous you are. None of that matters. Your confession out of your mouth is Jesus. Peter was not walking around saying, I'm Peter, I'm the great apostle, I'm a disciple of Jesus. He wasn't proclaiming himself. He wasn't glorifying himself. Today, pastors, preachers, prophets running around, so-called apostles. I'm an apostle of Jesus. No, you are a jackass. Because if you don't confess Christ, you are an antichrist. Why do we come so hard against people that always Boasting about themselves and boasting about themselves. We tell them, shut up, get on your knees, bow down to Jesus. We do that over and over and again. It's a horrible delusion. Today we are surrounded by narcissists and they're demanding your attention, they're demanding time, they're demanding because, oh, it's about me. When we're telling them, hello, it's not about you, it's about Jesus and this is His time. He's coming back soon. Wake up, because when the Lord returns and they go running to Him and say, Lord, Lord, He'll say, I don't know you because you never bothered to even think about me or declare my name or confess my name or be a witness to my name. All you did was you were a witness of yourself. It's the hardest thing to preach in this country. The West is full of narcissists. Each and every individual you encounter, all they talk about is themselves full of themselves in this little bubble of delusion and it's so hard to burst it and all we are saying is just acknowledge Jesus in your life you will be saved from the wrath of God the book of Revelation is going to unfold before our eyes and the difference will be that either you are under the grace of God or you are under the wrath of God and narcissists are under the wrath of God they are walking around all pompous and arrogant and Self-centered and selfish and thinking, Oh yeah, I'm going to go to heaven. No, you're going to go straight in the book of Revelation. where 21 judgments are going to come upon your head. Because you refused to bend your knee to Jesus Christ. You refused to confess His name. You refused to love Him. You refused to obey Him. Instead, you fought against us. You came against the people of God. You came against the servants of the Most High God. I feel bad for those people that try to come against his servants. Because we know what's coming. We know what's coming. I'll I'll share pretty soon what God showed me about this area where we live. I've been keeping it for the last 11 years. But it's time for me to share it. I will make a video soon about it. We may have even less than a year before that happens. I'm not setting dates or anything but you feel the urgency of what's to come even locally. The devastation that will come. The 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 calamities and the disasters and just horrible, catastrophic events. Millions of people will die. These are not ordinary events. This pandemic is just one taste of what is to come. But still, in spite of what we are surrounded with today, people are starving. And then the rich and the pompous and the arrogant and the narcissists are strutting around, sitting on their donkey and thinking they're somebody. They have, they're going to have such a horrible shock when the Lord returns suddenly. It's, it's a sad day for them. That's what the Bible says. When He returns, the tribes of the and the nations will mourn. They will cry. They will weep when He returns. Why are they going to weep? Because they didn't care about Him. They're going to cry on that day. They're not going to be rejoicing. Those who love Him, those who serve Him, those who obey Him, those who confess Him, they will be rejoicing. They're the ones who will be happy, full of joy when the Lord returns. But it's the the selfish, self-centered, narcissistic bunch of hypocrites. They will mourn because they know they're going to end up in the pit of hell because they denied Jesus in their life. They exalted themselves and they denied Jesus. And he will tell them to their face, I don't know you. Get lost. verse 17 Jesus answered and said to him blessed are you Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it so Jesus is saying on the revelation that I am Jesus the son of the Living God I will build my church the church of Jesus Christ has been built on the revelation That he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is what Jesus spoke about. That if you confess this, my church will be built on this rock. And Peter, your job is to go and declare who I am to the rest of the world. And he gave him authority and power to do it. He says, if you go in my name, and you declare my name, and you confess my name to the nations, I will give you power. Nineteen. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. People don't understand the power that comes with confessing Christ. Truly saying, I will serve the living God. I will serve Jesus for the rest of my life. They are the ones given the authority and the power to bind and loose and to come against any evil force on this earth but it is not given to just any superficial, artificial believer a lot of Christians running around no power, no authority why is that? I know people sitting 20 years in church and they have no power at all no authority from God because they were selfish, self-centered narcissists all they thought and cared about is themselves if you're one of those people you need to repent this day today is that day so you know what? I'm done with my selfish lifestyle. I'm done with self-obsession. I'm done with this idol that's inside my heart. When you search your heart, do you see Jesus there? No, you don't. You see your own self over there. You see your own pride over there. You see your own name written across your heart. Whatever your name is, you can see it right across your heart. You don't see the name of Christ there. Those who belong to Christ, they have Jesus Christ written on their heart. And they glorify only his name alone. And when hypocrites come and say, no, 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 glorify me. Put me in the spotlight. And we have to tell them, shut your mouth and get out of my sight. We're not here to glorify man. We're not here to glorify human beings. We're not here to glorify father, mother, sister, brother. We're not here to glorify children. We are called to glorify the name that is above every other name. Because under his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of heaven, of earth, and under the earth. You can't get away from that. That's the ultimate truth. Anybody comes and opposes that truth is an antichrist. You need to start telling these people, You are an antichrist. Get out of my sight. A lot of people are shocked when they say, Why are you disrespecting and why are you dishonoring? this one and that one. And why are you taking names? It's because they are antichrist. They don't give a damn about God and his ways, his word. And we have hypocrites come to us and say, Oh, glorify this person. We are called to glorify Jesus and Jesus alone. If you put that as your standard, if you make that the rock of your salvation, God will give you power and authority over nations. But you must rebuke and reject idols idolaters they will come into your space and demand your time and space they are idolaters you have to crush them they are messengers of satan if someone comes in the name of jesus they glorify jesus they obey jesus they love jesus they witness about jesus they put jesus first in their life you can welcome them with open arms we have people like that. We love those people. We embrace them. We bless them. We honor them. We financially bless them. In our church, we, we make sure that we respect those people. There are very few. The rest are just a bunch of hypocrites. But when it really comes down to people that really love God and they serve God, we give them that place of honor. Verse 20. Then He commanded His disciples that they should tell no one that He was Jesus the Christ. Okay? So at that time, Jesus said, in this period of time, don't tell anybody. Wait. Wait till my crucifixion. Wait till I'm raised from the dead. Then you go and proclaim. Then you, I will give you authority. Then the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So at this moment of this passage of Scripture, Jesus says, hold on. I know you know that. I know that you know that I'm the Son of God. But hold on. Wait. And then Jesus starts to tell them about his crucifixion, his suffering, his death, his burial, his resurrection. Verse 21. From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So Jesus was prophesying his own death and his his crucifixion. But now Peter, the same Peter who declared Jesus to be the Son of God, look at what he says now. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now Peter's operating in the flesh. Just a few moments ago, by the Holy Spirit, he said, Jesus, you are the Son of God. And Jesus Well done, Peter. You said this Because God the Father revealed it to you. And now a few seconds later, Peter is in his flesh. And now he's thinking, hey, that's not a good thing. Why would Jesus die? Then I will not be given power and authority and all of that. He started thinking like a politician now. So he's starting to rebuke Jesus. Saying, oh, no, Lord, that's not going to happen. Because then what? We're going to lose our power and authority that you have given us right now. Verse 23. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So you can have Christians saying, Oh yes, I believe Jesus is Lord. And the very next moment they're telling you, Oh, we don't care about the things of God. Let's start thinking about the things of men. And Jesus will tell someone like that, You are Satan. Get behind me. When people come around to us and say, hey, don't talk about Jesus, but talk about this one and talk about that one. We tell these people, get behind me, Satan. And they like, oh, you call me Satan? Yes, because you're an offense to me. Anybody that comes to you, and they are not concerned of the things of God, they are messengers of Satan. And you have the right and the authority to tell them to their face, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me. You don't know how many people come and offend us with their garbage. They just vomit on us constantly. Their evil thoughts, their evil intentions, their their hatred of their heart and their viciousness and their ugliness. They're just pouring it out and we have to keep constantly fighting back. Because they're mindful of the things of men. They're always glorifying men. They're always pointing to some wicked, nasty man. They're obsessed with scumbags. And they come to us and say, oh, be obsessed like us. And we're like, back off. You're a piece of garbage. Get out of our sight. And then they run away all offended and mad and angry. And like, oh, you're not my pastor. I have another pastor. Yes, please get lost. Go and find some hypocrite pastor to to make you feel good. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is the starting point of any true disciple. The prosperity preacher will say, oh, your best life now. He's a liar from the pit of hell. We are called to deny ourselves, to crucify the flesh, to walk humbly before God in painful obedience. Obedience is very painful. It's hard. Discipline is hard. Chastisement is hard. Correction is hard. Discipline is hard. Denying yourself is very hard. To take up your cross, very hard. Each and every one of us has a cross to carry. You cannot deny the cross. You cannot say, oh no, I want my best life now. I don't want the cross. I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to. Then you're not following Jesus and who are you following? You're following Satan. You want to have a good time and party and have a... No. Walking with the Lord is sacrificial. It's self-denial. It's crucifying. There's a heavy price. And in our world of comfort and, you know, good life and good food and good times, and oh, who wants to suffer? Who wants to sacrifice? Who wants to deny yourself? I like my comfort zone. I like my good times. I like everything. I life hanging around with pigs. You want to hang out with pigs? Then you're going to be counted as a pig yourself. The sheep do not hang out with pigs. The sheep do not hang out with goats. But in our culture, we embrace goats, we embrace pigs like they are your own family. No. There's a separation between sheep and goats. Verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That means there's a lot of losing to do. You've got to lose your you know, fancy ambitions and careers and this and that. And say, you know what, Lord? I lay down everything at the altar. I lay everything down at your feet. I'm going to lose it. All that I desire, all that I want in my life, all the demands that I have. Are you willing to lay down at his feet? And say, Lord, whatever you have for me, I will receive it. I'm willing to sacrifice all my plans and my idea of what I should do and what my life should look like and what kind of you know, handsome man I need to marry or beautiful woman I need to find or whatever the demands of your life. And say, I lay it down at your feet, Lord. Whatever you desire for me, I will do it. That's a very painful sacrifice. And most people are not willing to do that. Oh no, the constitution tells me Pursuit of happiness Pursuit of the good life I want the American dream Well, the American dream has turned into a nightmare Look around you People are dying They're suffering in the ICU And now they can't even say Jesus Because they can't even speak anymore They're choking on their own fluids All their life they lived the American dream And now what? They're on their deathbed For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. When you lose your life, not just for yourself or your family, but you lose your life for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of his church. We're always sacrificing one for another. The body of Christ is to serve one another, bless one another, take care of one another, pray for one another. We go and feed the homeless, and the hungry, and the, the poor, those who don't have anything. It takes effort, it takes time, it takes money. You got to spend time traveling to some places to deliver goods, and, and food, and clothing, and there's things that need to be done. Not just once a year. That's to be every month. You need to find a need and meet it. You're already getting taking care of your own needs day in and day out. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? We ask this of people all the time. What profit will it do you if you get everything that you desire and you demand? And in the process you lose your soul. You become this wicked, horrible person. Empty, dead, soulless, no emotion, no feelings. No caring, no compassion, no forgiveness. Full of hate and envy and jealousy and bitterness and wrath and just ugliness. You can look nice and beautiful and pretty on the outside, but you're wretched on the inside. Horrible, horrible condition. Because you went and grabbed everything that you wanted. And you used and manipulated people and you got it. But what is the end result? Look at your condition of your soul. Verse 27: For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. God is looking at our works. What have you done for somebody else? Have you just demanded stuff for yourself over and over and over? Are you so emotionally bankrupt that you can't lift a finger to help somebody else? That's the state of the world we live in today. It's a sacrifice to step out of your comfort zone and to help somebody else. It's painful. It's hard. Especially when you're so used to luxury and having the best of everything. To give up all of that and say, you know what? Let me go and reach out to somebody that's in need. And you don't have to go very far. There are people all around you that are suffering and they're in need of something. Verse 28. Assuredly I say to you, There are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. In his time, when he said that, in the next chapter, Jesus took them up to the mountain and he was transfigured. It's called the Mount of Transfiguration. He turned into bright, bright light in front of them. So he was telling them that. And then the very next verse, he takes them up to the mountain and he shows them his glory. So he says, you guys will not even die before you will see The Son of Man coming in His kingdom. He gave them a glimpse, He gave them a taste of who He is. He wasn't just talking, He actually demonstrated it. And then from heaven, God the Father spoke and said, This is my Son, listen to Him. And Peter and John, and they're all nervous and shaking. They're like, Oh my goodness, what kind of experience is this? And for us, in this time, in this generation, at the end of this age, we will not taste death till we see the return of the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. We are that generation, the last generation, to witness the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The church of today has the most amazing job, is to go to the ends of the earth and declare the return of the second coming of Jesus Christ. We've been given an amazing privilege. Nothing else should matter. Any direction you go, you should be obsessed with this one fact, that the Lord Jesus is coming back in our time, in our generation. Because we see all the prophetic signs being fulfilled all around us. Everybody can sense it. Everybody knows there are disasters coming, but there's also the return of the Lord that He is coming. The Holy Spirit is warning His people, get ready. He's telling His bride, get ready for the return of Jesus. He is coming back in your time. You will not taste death. Many of us will not die. We will just be raptured. We will be just caught up into the clouds with the return of the Lord. It will be the most amazing event of your life. If you've experienced the wonders of this world and all the good stuff and everything, it's nothing compared to the rapture. And the Lord is reminding His people, Look out. There are things that are gonna happen around you, but look up because I am also returning. We have a very heavy responsibility. We have a very strong uh, commitment to declare His name to the ends of the earth. Why do we do this broadcast? We can meet physically in a local church, in a local space, yeah, but that's limited. This is a much more powerful medium to establish the Word of God through social media, through YouTube, through different formats through podcast, audio, video. And now I will even write down blogs. and So in the written format, in audio b- format, and video format. We want to just disseminate the message across the planet. We already have people listening to our podcasts in, in Europe, in Asia, and in the United States. We have a global audience now. We can meet locally, yes. It's great to meet together. But even that, we are sacrificing right now. Our church loves to meet. They're like, hey, we missed the fellowship. We missed that time together. Yes, of course we do. But because of the pandemic, we're like, we have children. We want to keep them safe from any kind of infection. We don't want to bring harm to our children. So it's sacrificial. Yeah, we want to worship God. We want to come together as a church. But we want to also be wise. We want to be good shepherds of the flock to protect the young ones, to protect the lambs. Luke 14:25 Now great multitudes went with him and he turned and said to them If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters yes and his own life also he cannot be my disciple That is pretty tough words from the Lord He's testing your heart he's testing my heart do you love your family and friends and children and wife and mother and father more than me? Then don't come after me. You cannot be my disciple. What is the Lord saying? He's not saying hate your family and children or whatever. All he's saying is that your love for God has to be far greater than your love for your parents and siblings and children. Yes, you love your life, wife. Yes, you love your, your husband. But then he says, take it one step further. If you love your own life also more than loving God, you cannot be my disciple. So the test of a true disciple is that, Lord, I love you more than my own life. That's the standard Jesus has established. And each one has to pass that test. Each one will be tested. Who do you love more? That's the real test. And you can't fool God. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. And then for some, he says, Are you willing even to die for me? Are you willing to be a martyr for me? Be glad God doesn't put you to that test. There are pastors and preachers in, in Asia and Africa, and they are put to that test, and they get killed for their faith. In the Middle East, they get killed just to confess the name of Jesus. That's the price they pay. And here I come across dozens of people that don't even want to take his name even once in the single day. Not once. Well, in the Middle East and Asia and Africa, they say Jesus and they get killed for that confession. That's why I get so upset. That's why I get so hyper. People wonder, why am I so aggressive and why am I always so upset? Because I know people right now that are facing that test and they are passing it every single day they are risking their very life the life of their families and children because they confess Christ openly they are bold witnesses and i'm glad to know people like that and they put me to shame because i don't confess jesus more than i should luke 16:13 or wait luke 14:27 And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is being very clear here. There's a cross to carry. There's a self-denial to take place. There's a crucifixion waiting for you. If you cannot do all that, you cannot be my disciple. A lot of Christians walking around with a little golden cross around their golden chain around their neck and think, look, I'm carrying my cross. No, you're not. You're just making a fashion statement. There's a serious price to follow after Christ, to be a disciple. A lot of fake Christians, a lot of fake believers, a lot of counterfeit people today. We've encountered many here. They come into the church and they sing the songs and they clap their hands and they say the right words, but their heart is not in it. Their heart is corrupted to the core, wicked to the core and trying to deceive and manipulate even the church. These are the most disgusting, despicable people I've seen. That They will come into the church, into the house of God to lie and cheat and deceive and manipulate. Because they want what they want. And we know already what they want. But they want to do all these things and play all these games in the presence of God and think that they are extra smart it's a horrible thing to see luke 16 13 no servant can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other and then what is God saying you cannot serve God and mammon those who love money cannot serve God because they love money. They love the things of this world. If you love stuff, it'll be a challenge for you to serve God. If it's all about your life, it's all about stuff, you're gonna have a hard time trying to be a disciple of Jesus. God doesn't say you live like a poor beggar. That's not what he's saying. You can have all the abundance that you want. God wants to bless you. He wants you to have the abundance. But if that abundance is ruling your life, if that stuff is what obsesses you all day long, then you will have a problem. 2 Timothy 2, 1 You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So now Paul is telling Timothy, be strong. And all that you heard from me, in the front of many witnesses, committed to faithful men who will be able to teach others. I've been looking for real men of God that I can say, let me teach you the ways of the kingdom, that you can go and teach it to your family, to your children and to others. And I've been badly disappointed. The men of this nation are the nastiest men I've come across, full of the flesh, full of lust, full of just junk desires and demands they have no love for God they have no love for the word of God there is so much to learn from the scriptures they don't even love their own children and I would love to name names I have a long list of nasty men that just came to play church and I was always upset with them like you're just playing church here you're just a hypocrite I don't know why you waste your time You don't want to teach your children the commandments of God. You don't want to obey God first of all, because they are watching your life. How can you teach them when you're not obeying in the first place? And then they're demanding the prophecies and they're demanding all the promises and it's just a shocking hypocrisy that goes on night and day. Verse three, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Do we have soldiers in the church? Do we really have real men with a real backbone? All I find is jellyfish, spineless cowards, everywhere I go. I've confronted men bigger than me and they ran away like, like rats because that's what they are. They are rats. They are scavengers. They are predators. They didn't come for the Word of God. They didn't come because they love Jesus. They came as rats and they ran away like rats. If you're one of them that came and you're listening to me right now, you are despicable. But it's still time for you to repent. This hammer is hitting your head right now. This Word is coming to you right now so you can repent. We don't do this or say this to to uh, hurt your feelings or offend you. or No. We confront hypocrisy. We confront lying manipulation, deception. We confront it with the truth. And then the door will open for you. And then you can step into the kingdom of heaven. But your nonsense has to stop. Your garbage has to stop. Your rebellion has to bow down to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We say things in a harsh manner. It's to knock you off your donkey. It's to knock you off of your high pedestal. That's the reason why we are the way we are. We're not here to make you feel good or to cuddle you and treat you like a little bear. No. We're here to knock some sense into your head. Verse 4. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So if God enlists you as a soldier, you have to live a life of a soldier. Disciplined life. A life of warfare. You've got to fight against the enemy. You've got to fight against evil. You've got to come against demonic forces. You've got to protect your children. That's the role of a good shepherd. That's the role of every father on this earth right now. And they have failed miserably. Men, I always go after the men. The women can be all, you know, a little softer and everything. It's the men that are called to be responsible as shepherds of their flock, of their own wives and children. But today's men are cheating on their wives. They are drinking alcohol. They are abusing them, cursing them, disrespecting them, dishonoring them, and expecting respect. These kind of men, these are the ones I, I disrespect openly. They don't deserve respect. And the wife is in bondage and buying down to the wicked man. What is wrong with that picture? Verse 5. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Today, men are demanding their rights and running around saying, I need my reward right now. You haven't even run the race and you're already expecting a crown. You're already expecting all the rewards of heaven. Start running the race, first of all, before you can start demanding things. People walk into the church and start demanding all the promises of God. You haven't even run the race, and you want a reward. This entitlement attitude. Everybody walking around saying, I'm entitled because I'm special. Yeah, you're special because you're full of iniquity. That's why you're special. There's only one reward for you. It's the book of Revelation. 21 judgments coming on your head. 1 Thessalonians chapter two, verse one. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi. As you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. You see, Paul was struggling to preach. He was suffering. He was treated spitefully. But he says he was bold in God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. If you have everything nice and peaceful and you're talking of the goodness of God and everybody loves you, that is not the true gospel. When the gospel is preached, there's conflict People will spitefully attack you. People will hate you. People will mock you. They will backbite. They will gossip about you. Paul says, I I don't care. They treated us spitefully, but we preached to you boldly the gospel in much conflict. My wife and I, when we declare the word of God and we're sharing our faith and our testimony, suddenly conflict rises up out of nowhere. Like, wow, where's this conflict coming from? The conflict is coming from the messengers of Satan. They hate our guts. They don't want to hear the truth. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. How do you know when we are speaking the truth? Do we say it with deception? Do we say it with uncleanness? Do we say it twisted? No, we just declare the truth. And whoever receives it, they love it. They're like, you're right. This truth is going to change my life. This truth is going to set me free. And we see the results. We see the ones who are applying that truth. They see breakthrough. They see sovereign deliverance from the Lord. We don't have to lay hands on people. We don't have to cast demons out anymore. Like we used to do. We used to have meetings. Five days a week. Casting demons out of people. Now we tell them this truth is going to set you free. And we see the results. And they come to us within weeks and months and say, You know what? Something left my body. I felt this heaviness leave. I felt, you know, the demons get out of my body. Why? Because you applied the truth that was declared to you. And after that comes the presence of God. Oh, I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I feel goosebumps. Oh, I feel power around me. Yeah. Now God cleaned you up. Now you're going to experience the Holy Spirit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. So if you think when we preach, we preach to make people feel good or to please man. No, we don't. The more we offend man, the better it is for us because then God is pleased. We don't go offending men of God or women of God. No, we honor men of God. We respect women of God. It's the wicked, nasty men that we offend. They're piles of garbage. And we call it for what it is. And oh, they get offended. Oh, they get mad. Oh, get mad. Get a heart attack. Die. Die in your iniquity. Because you will not repent. You will not turn from your rebellion. When people start falling and collapsing in front of us, we're not going to feel Sorry because you have lived decades of wickedness and out of your arrogance and pride and, and nastiness you've collapsed. Your heart has failed you because you rejected the Word of God. That's the judgment of God on your head. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. We don't go around flattering people. We give honor where honor is due. We know men of God, we know women of God that are doing amazing work for God. Those people, yes, we honor them. But the rest, we don't flatter you. We're constantly knocking people on their head. Not because we hate you, not because we do it out of malice, out of deceit, out of selfish gain. We could be just having a good time, just me, my wife, my kids, we could just having a wonderful time and not waste our time and energy and breath and effort for anybody else. That would be a selfish life. And we could do that and still be blessed by God because we serve God ourselves. We don't have to give an account for anybody else. We have to give an account for our own life. But we go out of our comfort zone. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our effort. We neglect our own children so that we can spend time with other people and pray over them and give them counsel, give them advice, give them direction. We don't do it by flattering words. Anybody that comes and gives you fake compliments and flattery, they are doing it out of deceit. Don't be fooled by people that flatter you and give you compliments. That's your own vanity that's messing with you and those people are messing with you and they don't give a damn about you. Verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. We have sacrificed years. My wife and I have given over our lives to other people's lives. We're not just given words and lip service and walked away. We have stepped into people's situations. We have stood in the gap. We have fought off evil for other people over and over and over again, case after case after case, neglecting our own marriage, neglecting our own children, neglecting time for ourselves. Even our health got affected. We even gained weight because we were not able to eat healthy or, or take care of ourselves or sleep well. So many things took place. But we gave our own lives. We're not saying it to boast. We're just saying it as an example. That's the price you pay to be a true disciples. When God gives you that burden, you have to fulfill that burden. You cannot walk away from it. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That's what we do with anybody that comes. We don't make differentiations. We don't play favorites. We don't exalt the rich and and kick the poor out. We don't do that. But we exalt people. We charge everyone. We hold everybody's feet to the fire, including ourselves, that walk worthy of God. He's calling us into his own kingdom and his glory. We're gonna step into that kingdom very soon. He's gonna establish it on this earth. The new millennium kingdom is coming. And we are preparing for that. And we are telling others, prepare for that. Don't get too caught up with your little bubble, your little world right now. There's something far greater that's coming ahead. Matthew 7, 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. We have shouted from the rooftops. We've told people, don't go that way. Don't go that way. It's straight to the pit of hell. Don't go in that direction. You will suffer. But no, they want to go that way. Okay, fine. Many, Jesus said that. He said many will go by that way. Verse 14, Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way, which leads to life, and there are few who find it. God's way is very narrow. It's very constricted. It's very difficult. But it leads to life. Life in this life and life to come, eternal life. And the Bible says there are few who find it. We're looking for those few that have found the way of life. And then we rejoice with them, and we fellowship with them, and we glorify God with them. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits, Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. This is what we do all the time. We have to exercise discernment. A lot of people will come into your life. Check the evidence of their life. Check their backstory. Check who they are. Do a background check on people before you welcome them into your house. And we've made that mistake and we suffer the consequences. We invited convicted felons to come and stay with us, trying to be a blessing to the poor and the homeless. And then we had rich people come, all mentally insane and messed up. And even they caused us a lot of trouble. So you have to be very careful. A lot of people will come with sweet words and sweet talk, and but they have a lot of baggage. They've got a lot of history. Like they say, they have a lot of skeletons in their closet. These are people with some serious baggage. Check it out. Make sure you don't just welcome anybody into your home. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is what we keep telling people. You can not deceive us. You can lie to us. You cannot manipulate us. If you have bad fruit in your life, You will get cut down and thrown into the lake of fire. Today is the day to repent and start producing good fruit. If you still carry envy and jealousy and hate and, you know, vanity and all of this garbage that's going on in your life, that's bad fruit. That's rejected of God. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying just because you confess Christ, it doesn't guarantee you heaven. He's watching your walk. He's watching if you're doing the will of the Father. How will I know the will of my Father? It's by learning to obey the commandments of God and learning to come into the presence of God and hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit and then obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit, then you will be welcomed into God's kingdom. Just because you say, oh, I love you, Jesus, and te amo, Jesus, doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven. Are you walking in the will of the Father? And all we do is to try to remind people, hey, don't go in your own ways, don't do your own nonsense, learn to obey God, come into the will of the Father, Obey His voice, do His will, and then you find peace. 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are people that may come even as ministers and preachers and pastors and do signs and wonders. But God will say, I don't know you. Why would he do that? Because they were doing it out of order. They were doing it out of the will of the Father. It's very critical for us to remain in God's will. God's not impressed with signs and wonders and miracles and visions and dreams and prophecies. and Yeah, all that is there. Those are bells and whistles. Yeah, that's a little part of the kingdom. The main part... The central part of the kingdom of heaven is to obey the will of the Father, to do His will, to obey His commandments, to love and forgive, to even love your enemies. I keep getting amazed at my wife. She loves her enemies. People that hate her and she still loves them. And they keep hating her and she still forgives and loves them. I'm like, wow, God has really given you amazing grace. Because I struggle with that. As a man, I'm like, I want to fight these people. But that's what God is pleased with. When you love your enemies, you bless them, you take care of them, you watch over them. 1 Corinthians 6.15 Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. The word harlot means prostitute. Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. You need to underline that verse, verse 17. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. It's a powerful verse. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. It's not just a confession of the mouth. You are joined to the Lord with one spirit, by the Holy Spirit. You are in union with Christ. You are the bride of Christ. He is the bridegroom. And you are joined to Him. It's a relationship, it's a marital relationship. Verse 18 Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And you are not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is how you know a true Christian from a fake one. When you truly have the Holy Spirit, you will glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God owns both. He owns your body. He owns your spirit. And God is saying, all I'm asking you to do is glorify me in your body and in your spirit. How am I going to glorify God in my spirit when I'm so self-obsessed? When all I think about is myself, all the selfishness and narcissism. You cannot because you don't belong to God. The one who belongs to God, whose body belongs to God, whose spirit belongs to God, they will glorify God. That's the true sign of a believer. You meet them, they say, Jesus is Lord. Glory to God. I want to do and live my life for God's glory. I want to sacrifice my life. I want to sacrifice myself. I want to sacrifice my pride and rebellion and arrogance and all disobedience and all of it. I want to crucify my flesh so that I can obey Jesus and glorify Him. The purpose of your body, the purpose of your spirit is not for self-glorification, It's not to exalt wicked men or women or mother or father or this one or that one. Your job in your body, in your spirit is to glorify God. It's a simple message. It's not religion. It's not complicated. You don't need 10 Bible studies to understand this. From the depth of the core of your being, you should say, I love Jesus. I glorify Jesus. How difficult is that? Even a child can do that. But you have grown up hypocrites running around, playing the hypocrite, saying, I love Jesus, and they're glorifying themselves. They are an offense to me. They are an offense to my wife. And we show our children, look, these people are an offense to God. There's no need to respect them, honor them, or give them attention. Because they are idolaters. They don't glorify God in their body or in their spirit. What do they do? They glorify their own flesh and they glorify themselves. They are an offense to God. Titus 115 To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. This is the state of affairs today. If you are pure in heart, you are pure in your mind, everything is pure. Everything is awesome. Glory to God. But to the ones whose mind is defiled and they are unbelieving, everything is messed up. Everything is ruined. Everything is junk. Their conscience is dirty. In verse 16, They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him. You see how it is? They confess. Yes, I believe in Jesus. They confess with their mouth. But in their works, they deny Him. Like, How do I deny Jesus? Is the way you walk before Him. What is your walk before Him? That's what matters. Not your confession of your mouth. Are you walking in obedience? Are you doing what He's telling you to do? Or are you doing whatever your flesh desires? It says they are abominable, disobedient, and disqualified... For every good work. God says you're disqualified. If you don't walk right before me, you're disqualified. You're abominable before me. You're disobedient, rebellious, out of order, out of whack. That's the society you live in today. They are not your example. We have nasty, wicked, you know, I just use... these are good words I'm using. I have some horrible words that I would like, love to use against people that try to, to do harm to our children. We love our children to death. We will sacrifice our lives for our children. We will die for them. And you got hypocrites that try to come and contaminate their life or to infect them or to mess with their brain or to teach them the wrong things. We are raising up godly children in the ways of God, in the ways of the kingdom, in the ways of the Holy Spirit and you got messenger of Satan coming to try to influence them in the negative way. Abominable people. Disobedient people. Disqualified for every good work. Nothing good comes out of these people's lives. And instead they're trying to influence the next generation with rebellion and disobedience and abominations. And people wonder why we come so hard against them. Philippians 1:3 I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ So if you're truly a believer and you're walking, yeah, you mess up, you make mistakes, you fall down, you get up again. And Paul says, I'm confident in this. If God began a good work in you, he will complete it until when? Until the day of Jesus Christ, the day of the Lord, the day that he returns. He will finish the work that he has started in you. This is why we are confident about members of our church that if God is working in your life, We're like glory to God. We may not meet for the month or whenever, but God is already working in you. And they call us and they text us and they let us know, wow, look, the Lord delivered me. The Lord blessed me. The Lord did this for me. I experienced the presence of God because God is the one working in you. 1 Peter 4.15 But let, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Verse 16. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. See, even when people are attacking you and just being nasty and evil against you and and throwing allegations at you and accusing you and hating on you and whatever, give glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Because God knows the hearts of all people. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? To Paul is saying, rejoice in your suffering and misery and whatever that you're getting attacked or whatever. Glorify God because the time has already come. We are in such a time. The time of grace is coming to a close and the time of judgment has begun it's begun at the house of God first. Think about it. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Think about that. First, think about your own judgment in the house of God before the Lord. Examine yourself. That's why we don't take communion very often. Because if you live a life of lawlessness and you step into communion, you will be judged severely for it. So we say first examine yourself and walk humbly before God because the days of judgment are here. And if it begins with us first, think about all the nasty, wicked people around you. What will happen to them? Because they don't obey the gospel of God. Think about it. There's an eternity of suffering and hell waiting for them because they choose not to obey God. Verse 18. Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? So those who have been considered righteous by God through the blood of Jesus, through the obedience of the cross, if they are barely saved, just about saved, what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner? Verse 19, Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. So your job as a believer, as a disciple, say, you know what, I suffer a little bit, but according to the will of God, because I'm doing His will, I'm obeying God, I'm serving even evil people, even wicked people, even my enemies, and I'm suffering for it, but I commit my soul to him because I'm doing good because He is a faithful creator and he will reward. And he also says, make room for vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So on your part, you do good. On your part, you bless. On your part, you love your enemies. And on God's part, he will watch over your soul and he will punish the evildoers. He will take vengeance on your behalf just wait on his timing that's the price of being a true disciple that's the cost of being a disciple of Jesus yes you will suffer yes you will go through difficult times yes you will be attacked and maligned and all kinds of vicious evil will come against you lies and manipulation deception hate and envy and jealousy and vanity and everything will come at you But you say Lord I commit my soul to you let me finish the race well You're already running the race. You're running away from evil and you're running to God. Say, Lord, I'm running as fast as I can towards you because I'm done with all these evildoers. I'm done with all this nastiness. I need a break, Lord. And the Lord says, don't worry, I'm coming soon. I'm coming to rescue you from that evil generation. And then I will punish those who came at you. So get your soul ready. Get your heart ready. Be ready for his return. He's coming back. So, let's pray. God is amazing. God is so good. He loves us beyond we can imagine or understand. Right now you're under his grace. Right now you're under his divine protection. Right now you're he's providing for you. Let us take care of somebody else's need. On Monday we are going to go pick up some food supplies and go into the poorer neighborhoods and distribute it. If you want to help, you want to come, let us know and then we'll see how we can do that. So keep everything in prayer. We thank all those who've blessed us to be a blessing to others, even financially that we can send money across to India and even take all the goods and material stuff to Mexico. We do whatever we can in our power, in our limited abilities, and just want to be faithful to God and His people. So we thank all those who contribute and help and assist in the work of God And God's reward is always waiting for you The Bible says God is not a debtor to no man You take one step towards God's kingdom, He will take 99 steps towards you You do one small kind act of goodness to someone in need He will bless you back a hundredfold That is God's measure towards you So always be willing to serve, always be willing to bless, always be willing to give and see how God rewards you openly. What you've done secretly, that's why we don't discuss it openly because we want it to be done in secret and then God rewards you openly with multiplied blessings, with the commanded blessings. And it's not just financial or material. It is supernatural. It is spiritual. It is breakthroughs and deliverance and healing and And divine protection those are things you can't put a price on and absolute the greatest gift is the gift of jesus christ and through him eternal salvation eternal life with him forever in his kingdom what an amazing blessing so we thank you father let's pray Lord. we just thank you for today we thank you lord for your grace your mercy your goodness your word we bless this time we bless this word let your word go forth And let it be established to the ends of the earth and help us to be faithful witnesses till the day you return. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. For those who want to find us, we have a website. You can just type in davidelijah.org and you'll get all, all the information needed about our church, about our YouTube channel, about our podcasts, our blogs. We have everything on our website and you want to forward it to somebody, you want to recommend it to somebody, they don't need to go look for the YouTube channel or the podcast. They can just go to the website. Again, it's davidelijah.org. So the word David Elijah is one word, davidelijah.org. If you put it in Google and search it, it'll come up, and then you can go to our website. The website church name is New Millennium Kingdom Church. So you can search either of the two davidelijah.org or New Millennium Kingdom Church and you'll find us. And get back to us, leave a comment, leave a message, leave a prayer request, whatever you want us to pray for you, let us know and we will cover it in prayer. And uh, we need a team of intercessors to rise up with us so we can stand in the gap for this nation, for this region. There are bad things that are going to take place. So before that happens, we need prophetic intercessors to stand in the gap for the mercy of God, for the grace of God, for the compassion of God. God's judgments are coming, but in the midst of it, we are called to stand in the gap and to pray for mercy. So let us know if you want to be on the prophetic intercession team and we will coordinate our efforts and we will come into the power agreement and pray over the prayer requests and see the goodness of God and see the God of heaven answer us in a very specific manner we have a history of seeing the goodness of God we've served God 25 years and God is always faithful He's always on time He's never late and He's always there He never leaves us never forsakes us He never abandons us He will be, to be with us even to the end of the age so get ready for His return in Jesus name Amen <music>